Welcome to Horror Nights In Podcast. Scary movies. Uh Uh-huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Here's Johnny! You're gonna need a bigger boat. The boogeyman is real. And you found him. Hi guys, and welcome to this episode of Horror Nights in Podcast with your one and only host, me, Crystal. I also have my wonderful co-host, the one and only Roxy the Kitty, who adds in her comments here and there depending on the topic. I upload a new podcast every Monday at noon Eastern Standard Time. So on this podcast, we talk about my life, my favorite horror movie of the week that you guys pick, and anything else horror, so thank you for being here. I also challenge all of you listening to leave me an iTunes review. It not only makes my days better, it also helps other horror fiends find me. You can also find me on the socials, on Twitter at WhoreDaddiesRUs, Instagram at Podcast, and on Tumblr at Podcast. so be sure to follow me on there for all the latest Horror Nights In news. So before we get into this episode, I want to take a minute and talk about my friends over at Red Glass Films. They are currently working on their film Shatter, which is a psychological crime thriller horror film. It's an underground film actually shot in Pennsylvania with a David Lynch and Darren Aronofsky-inspired detective story that's gritty, weird, and trippy. They have a small budget of only $650 for the film and are asking for some help. They created a Kickstarter account, so the link will be below. So check it out and help out if you can. So on this episode of Horror Nights in Podcasts, we are delving into the 2018 horror film Summer of 84. I'll be giving you the Rotten Tomatoes and the IMDb score, then delving deep into the plot, characters, and my overall honest and horrific opinion at the film. So Summer of 84... Rotten Tomatoes gave this film a 70% with 66 of the audience liking it. IMDb gave it a score of a 6.7 out of 10. Summer of 84 was released August 10, 2018, with a running time of 105 minutes. I am actually recording this episode on the one-year anniversary of this film, so congratulations. This film was directed by Anouk Whistle, Francois Simard, and Johan Carl Whistle. It was written by Matt Lewis and Stephen J. Smith. So a quick IMDb synopsis is after suspecting that their police officer neighbor is a serial killer, a group of teenage friends spend their summer spying on him and gathering evidence. But as they get closer to discovering the truth, things get dangerous. So now I'm going to take a second and play you guys the trailer. The sheriff's office reports they're likely looking for a white male. Mackie is the Kate May Slayer. Mackie 
He's a cop with a sick reputation. He's counting on us. Now go. You're gonna get caught either by Mackie or your dad. I know. I'm right about him. That doesn't prove anything. You with me? I don't want anything bad to happen to you. We're trying to save people. Well, you're not. Guys at station are gonna love this. Just let it go. Sorry again that you're grounded. Let's see if I can get you out of this house. No hard feelings. So the film starts with the voice of our young main character, Davey. It is June 1984 in his hometown of Ipswich, Oregon, and he's telling us about how serial killers all have neighbors. He's explaining that where the suburbs are is where the craziest shit happens. We see he's on his bike and that he is a newspaper delivery boy, and the headline on the paper that he's delivering reads, Freeport Boy Still Missing. We also notice that he has stopped in front of his neighbor's house. There's already this strange air of uneasiness when Davy is asked to go inside by his neighbor, Mr. Mackey, when he sees him outside. Mr. Mackey needs help lifting something to his basement. Davy has already pointed out that there is more dirt in Mr. Mackey's yard than usual. As Davy is waiting for Mr. Mackey to give him his monthly cost of the paper, he also sees that he has a ton of family photos around and on the walls, but it is assumed that Mr. Mackey lives alone. Davy is now helping Mr. Mackey bring an old piece of furniture downstairs into his basement. Then we hear the bang of the water heater, and it causes Davy to jump, and they take a second to relax. While this is happening, Davy starts looking around the basement and sees a door with a padlock on it and another room with a strange red light. Mr. Mackey explains that it is his amateur red room, and they have a conversation about how old Davy is, 15, and how Mr. Mackey has known him and his family since he was a baby. It is now later in the evening, and Davy is out, and his friends are playing manhunt in the neighborhood. He has hidden himself in a bush that looks directly into the living room of Mr. Mackey. We see him with a young boy, but we can't hear anything. We also see that Mr. Mackey is on the phone, but before he can spy any further, he is busted by his friends. He looks back into the house, but Mr. Mackey and the boy are gone. So the four friends are now back in their treehouse talking about girls and getting laid. So we have Davy, Tommy, Dale, and Curtis, who are all around the same age of 15. They each have nicknames as well. Tommy is Eats, Dale is Woody. They also call Curtis by his last name a Faraday. The boys then start talking about how Davy is a conspiracy theorist and how he always relates something back to a cover-up, and most recently about the boys that have gone missing in the area. If watching closely, Davy was actually wearing an Area 51 shirt in the opening of the scene. He then starts explaining how all the missing boys are connected, but his friends quickly cut him off and they head home. Davy is now home in his bedroom, and he's surrounded by conspiracy theory cutouts from newspapers and magazines on his wall. His mom then comes in and tucks him in, and we find out that his father is a news reporter who is hardly home. After his mother leaves, he reaches under his bed and grabs a walkie-talkie and his binoculars to talk to his friends. He also is a little peeping Tom as he's looking into his crush's window, his neighbor, Nikki. He also has a direct view on his neighbor's Mr. Mackey's house. 
It is now the next day and Davy's dad is home. And not only is Davy a conspiracy theorist, he also wants to be a filmmaker. He and his friends are now at the local bowling alley and Davy stops, spots Nikki, who is also the bowling alley's DJ. Nikki used to be his babysitter, which I find is a direct shout out to Eats past films, The Babysitter. One of my favorite horror comedies, also starring Judah Lewis. Davy is now home with his parents having dinner, and his dad tells him that Nikki's parents are getting divorced. Davy is now in his room and is looking into her bedroom again, and sees a photo of her at a younger age with her parents, so he can assume that they were pretty close. The phone then rings, and Davy goes to grab it, but hears his father has already picked it up. But before he hangs up, we hear what I assume is his dad's news station job telling him about a man who wrote a letter to them stating he is the Cape May Slayer and has killed at least 13 teenage boys over the past decade. Dewey then grabs his walkie and tells his friends about the news and then hears the news on the downstairs TV covering the story. The news then gives a brief description of the killer, describing him as a white male in his late 30s and early 40s who lives alone and targets 12 to 16-year-old boys. The friends are not together and talking about the missing teens, but his friends are not interested. They are more interested in Nikki, who is across the street, taking off her shirt, but then they get caught. It is now the next day, and the friends are at their local library discussing the serial killer and looking into the newspaper articles of the missing boys. It's now later in the evening, and the friends are out to play manhunt again, but their friend Sammy is missing. They go to his house, but see that no one is home, but their car is home. Davy is now spinning it into the serial killer story, but his friends are over it and head home, since they can't play manhunt anyway. But Davy tries the door, and it's locked, and he decides to go home too. Davy is now home, and he's making himself a peanut butter and jelly and a glass of milk. He then spots a photo of a missing boy on the back of the milk carton, and it's the same exact boy he saw in Mr. Mackey's house just a few weeks ago. He grabs his friends and is desperately trying to convince them that he is the Kate May Slayer. The friends then call Davy, tell Davy that Mr. Mackey goes to the hardware store every week to buy dirt, hundreds of pounds of dirt for his supposed garden. He then tells his friends about their room with the padlock in the basement and how they need real hard evidence. They go on to create the Operation Mac Attack. They trail the supposed serial killer and map out what he does on a daily basis. They find out when he leaves for work and when he comes home, has dinner, and then he goes on a jog around 11 p.m. every night. They decide to break into his house that night around 11 p.m., but instead they go through his trash and his mail and don't really find anything. Woody then asks if he can stay over at Davy's house that night because he doesn't want to be home. We find out later that Woody has a mom who's an alcoholic. We don't really get too much backstory on, on him or really any of the friends. Davy then hears the doorbell ring and thinking it was Woody goes and grabs the door, but it's actually his crush, Nikki. She walks inside and starts getting going into his fridge, gets a soda, and goes upstairs with Davy right behind her. We find out that Nikki was the one who put him on to the conspiracy theories long ago. Nikki then tells him he, she is moving, but before she rushes out the window, because his parents are home, she leans in as if she's going to kiss him. In the next scene, we are with a young boy who is leaving a house to go home, and suddenly is being chased, then grabbed from behind, and put into a car. 
It's now the next day, and the boys are stealing Woody's mom's car to trail Mr. Mackey to the hardware store, who's there to get more dirt and a pickaxe. In the meantime, Davey tells his friends about Nikki coming over. As they are on their way home, a police officer pulls them over, and we see that it is indeed not Mr. Mackey, but Officer Cole. He tells him to stop messing around and get home because of the missing boys and how another one has gone missing. Later that night, Davey is spying on Mr. Mackey, but he has switched cars and there is no dirt. He then looks down and sees Nikki waving to him to come hang out with her. While they're hanging out, she confesses confesses to Davey that her parents are getting divorced and it's truly upsetting to her. Davey then takes the chance and tells her about how he thinks Mr. Mackey is the Kate May Slayer, to which Nikki laughs, not believing him. She warns Davey to stop so nothing bad happens to him. The next day, Mr. Mackey is sitting outside his house watching the neighborhood kids play in the streets, and he offers them freeze pops. Later that night, Davey is with his friends in their treehouse, and they start taking shots of whiskey that Faraday stole from his dad. The boys are convinced that Mr. Mackey is not the killer, but Davey is ready to try and prove them and everybody else wrong. They grab their flashlights and head to where their friend Sam lives, and we see that the now-locked door is unlocked. They venture inside and smell something rotting like roadkill. And the lights, of course, are not working. But then we hear the phone ring. Davy slowly goes to turn on the kitchen light and we see hands come out instead. But it's only Nikki, who explains that the family did indeed rent an RV and go to their lake house for the summer. And the smell is actually from their cats getting into the garbage. This is also, there's also a cute compliment that Nikki gives Davy in front of his friends. That's pretty cute. Later that night, the boys are out playing manhunt, and Davy has the idea to put an extra walkie outside of Mr. Mackey's bedroom window while the others are watching him outside of his windows. Eats spots him with cleaning supplies, but then Mr. Mackey trips and drops the cleaning supplies, which Faraday sees that Mr. Mackey has some kind of blood stain on his shirt, but he then disappears into the basement. They run to the basement windows and see that all the windows are covered. Davy gets the walkie in place, goes to run, but before he can get to safety, Mr. Mackey opens his downstairs window and spots him. Back safely in his room, he sees that the walkie-talkie he planted isn't working. Woody figures it's because of the distance between the walkies. So the next day, Davy rides his bike over to Mr. Mackey's house to try and make the walkies work, but instead is confronted by Mr. Mackey instead, who seems totally at ease and is joking about the previous night when they both scared each other. Mr. Mackey then remembers he owes Davy for the newspapers and has him follow him around to the back where Davy sees a new plot of dirt shaped like a body could be underneath. So I want to take a minute and suggest that Davy is just a 15-year-old boy with too much time on his hands and is coming up with this entire theory about his neighbor that isn't true. His mind is so tunnel vision on really thinking that he is the Cape May Slayer that he refuses to believe anything else, and everything he is seeing and doing could only mean one thing. Of course, this was my theory at this time. <laughs> Davy is now home and spying on his neighbor and sees that Mr. Mackey now is spying on him too. Davy quickly jumps down and slowly peeks back up and sees that the shades are now closed and the walkie-talkie that he planted is now sitting in the window so that Davy could see it. He calls an emergency treehouse meeting and they gum up with a plan to dig up the ground where Davy saw earlier. So with Faraday and Woody trailing Mr. Mackey on his job and the other boys able, are able to dig up the ground, we then see that Faraday and Woody have followed Mr. Mackey to a storage unit. 
Faraday then guilts Woody into getting a closer look into the storage unit, and we see that it is filled with the soil and a pickaxe and a green Volkswagen Beetle. The boys then shift and make a noise, but are quick and get away before they get caught. They then suggest that they look in the shed, but they can't find anything else on the ground. So with Mr. Mackey driving away in the Volkswagen bug, Faraday and Woody try to walk the other boys, but they can't hear them because they're shoved. This is when Eat suggests they look in the shed when they can't find anything in the ground. Now they're inside the shed, Davy sees a shirt that supposedly belonged to the missing kid on the milk carton, and there's blood on it. Before they get caught by Mr. Mackey, the other boys get back and warn them that they lost him. They are all now safe in Davy's room, and they exchange all the information they have gathered. Woody then tells me he saw a bag in the storage place with chemical signs on it, and it said Noah, but it was actually the formula, the chemical formula for sodium hydroxide. This chemical breaks down human bodies and reduces the odor of decomposition. Davy then thinks it's time to tell his parents and try to convince him that their neighbor is a serial killer. But that did not go to plan, and Davy's dad then makes them all go over to Mr. Mackey's house and apologize for the things the boys had done the entire summer, and why Mr. Mackey, and why. Mr. Mackey then starts laughing, but then Davy confronts him about the boy in the bloody t-shirt. Mr. Mackey tells him that was actually his nephew, and the shirt was probably just for them hammering nails, and he had an accident. Mr. Mackey even tells them he can call his nephew right now, but Davy's dad insists and tells him not to. Davy's dad then tells the boys to go home and grounds Davy until further notice. Davy then gets a call from Nikki and asks him to come over. They then bond over some old photos, and Nikki finds out that Davy got caught and had to confess to Mr. Mackey what him and his friends were doing all summer. Davy then tells Nikki that he is still convinced about Mr. Mackey. So I'm going to take a second again and talk about another theory I have. Each showed Davy how to pick a lock, and Davy is continuing to mess with the lock, and what I think is a bobby pin of some sort to open this lock. My theory is that Mr. Mackey is going to kidnap Davy, and Davy is going to be able to get himself out using the skills that Eats taught him. It's now the next day, and Davy hears a knock on the door, and it's Mr. Mackey trying to smooth things over, but Davy isn't having it. Davy then suggests Mr. Mackey call his nephew for proof, but in order to do that, he has to come inside to use the phone. Davy then tells him the cord is really long and grabs a knife just in case. Mr. Mackey then calls his sister in Seattle to talk to Jamie, but there is no answer. He then promises Davy that he is going to catch whoever is doing this, and he leaves. Davy then goes inside and calls the operator for the last number that was dialed from his phone, and we see that it wasn't the sister in Seattle, but it was Mr. Mackey's own phone number. He then grabs his friends and tries to convince them to break into the basement, but before they can do much else, Davy's mom calls him downstairs to show him that an arrest was made on the Kate May Slayer, and the arresting officer is none other than Mr. Mackey. So with the arrest of the serial killer, the supposed serial killer, the town is set to put on their annual Bay Festival. Davy is still very convinced that Mr. Mackey is a killer, while even his friends think he is wrong now. Davy then is able to convince his friends that he is going to steal his dad's camcorder, break into the basement, and film whatever it is is in there for proof. The next day, Davy puts his plan into action as everyone leaving as everyone is leaving for the festival. Everyone is in position as Davy and Woody break into Mr. Mackey's house. 
Nikki is now at the window, and they let her in to help too. So back with Faraday, he sees that Mr. Mackey is posing with a pickaxe for a beautification project, which might be the sole and only reason behind the copious amounts of the soil that he was purchasing and, of course, the pickaxe that they saw in his storage unit. Now we're back with the three and they're going into the basement, but before they can go down, Faraday walkies him and tells him basically what I just said and then tells him he is out of the plan. Faraday is pretty convinced that Mr. Mackey is not a serial killer. Nikki then convinces him that they just need to at least try since they're already there. So after scaring themselves with random objects in the basement, Davy is able to pop open the lock just like Eats shows him. Back with Eats, he gets a good scare from Faraday who tells him the whole thing is off and they leave his position and turn off his radio. So now we have no eyes out for Mr. Mackey with the three inside of the house and no way for any of them to communicate. With the three in the basement inside the locker room, it looks like it appears to be a bedroom of some kind. They then figure it out that it must have been Davy's bedroom when he was younger. They then hear another noise from another door and Davy opens it and inside is a bathroom with a bathtub and a creepy shower curtain and all of theories are wrong and Davy was right. We see that when he pulls back the creepy shower curtain, we see there is a decomposing body in the tub and another boy we saw earlier tied up underneath the tub. Davy's eyes then caught by the family photos that were on the wall when they were coming up the stairs when he first went into Mr. Mackey's house and it's photos of all the missing boys, a.k.a. Mr. Mackey's victims. Davy then spots a family photo of himself on the wall and knows that he is next. So in the next scene is Davy, Woody, and Nikki showing the police the video that they filmed. The police then tell Davy's parents he helped save the young boy's life and that Davy is a hero. Davy and Nikki are now on the steps of the police department, and Nikki thanks him by kissing him for allowing her to see her parents hug. Davy and his parents are now on their way home and are profusely apologizing to him for not believing him. We also learn that Mr. Mackey is MIA. So Davy and Woody are now in his bedroom watching outside their window and exchanging a high five. So with about 15 minutes left of the film, we are now panning through Davy's house when the attic stairs slowly come down And Mr. Mackey enters Davy's bedroom while he is sleeping. We then see a hand and a cloth cover Davy's face and he passes out. Davy wakes up and he and Woody are in a car with the windows blacked out. Mackey then starts smashing the window and opens the door for them to run to play the real version of Manhunt. Davy, then with a pretty clear head, tells Woody they need to keep moving. The two then start moving with Mackie right on their heels. They then realize they are on Tidal Island and just have to keep going to find the road. They also run into Mr. Mackie's burial ground for all of the boys that he's killed. Davy then decides to create himself as a diversion so that Woody can go find the cop car and go get to safety. Davy is then hiding behind a tree and he is stabbed by Mackie and Davy yells for him, but it's too late. He's trying to warn Woody that Mr. Mackey is right behind him. Mackey then finds Woody, grabs him, and slices his throat, killing him. Davy is trying to get to Woody, but it's too late. Mackey then grabs him and confesses he wants to kill him, but won't, because he wants Davy to continue to think about him, 
thinking about what he's going to do to him after he has spent his whole life looking over his shoulder, and that is when Mackie will come for him. In the last few scenes of the film, Davy is able to make it to the road, and someone finds him, and he sees that Mackie has lit the Pearlie's cruiser on fire. Davy is now home, and we see that he is completely destroyed by what happened, and it ends with even serial killers live next door to somebody. So I know I went through that pretty quickly, and I might have left out a couple details here and there, but I assume that you have seen this movie, which is why you are listening to this episode. So the first thing I want to talk about is the ending, because it was obviously the last thing I saw and the last thing that I talked about. I was blown away by Rich Sumner's performance right at the end. So I only knew Rich Sumner as Doug from Devil Wears Prada, and it was very vanilla character. So to see him in this kind of role was almost a little shocking. I don't think I blinked during his entire last scene of the film when he was threatening Davy. It was, as my Twitter friends would say, chilling. So the reason I think it was so scary, because if you listen to my other podcasts, you know I always think about what happens once the film ends. I immediately thought of how ruined Davy's life would be and how his world would be consumed by paranormal fear and mostly end with him either killing himself or he could just accept that one day Mr. Mackey will come for him, kind of just live his life as normally as he can. I also think he will become a national hero and people want to hear his story because people are obsessed with serial killers. Um, I predict that Davey will probably get a book deal, some movie deals, be on some talk shows and podcasts. So maybe he will make a ton of movie, hire a bodyguard, but I predict the paranormal will still creep in at night when he is alone. The thing about anxiety and depression paranoia is that around people you might feel okay. You might almost feel like you're human and almost like you'll be all right. But once you're alone, it definitely creeps back in. So I would love to see a sequel that pulls an it and comes back to the town 10 years later. So my predictions is in that sequel, I predict that Faraday will have moved out of the town after his friend Woody was murdered, and he will lead a sort of normal life after lots of therapy. I predict that Eats will still be living in the town and borderline alcoholic after his parents divorced. Uh, I predict that Davey will have moved out of the town too and is now semi-famous because of his story, but I also predict that he will be taking a lot of medication as severe paranoia. So I predict that they come back to their hometown because of the of some kind of like memorial service for Woody. And of course, Mr. Mackey is still missing and has now moved on to FBI's most wanted list. And it ends with the friend group killing Mr. Mackey, but Davey actually dying, sacrificing his life for his friends. So kind of like a payback, I love you for when Woody died. Um, so that's pretty much my prediction if there is ever a sequel, but I'm pretty sure they won't be making one. So there's mine for you guys. Um, so now I want to talk about how the writer took very famous serial killer characteristics and gave them all to Mr. Mackey. First, Mr. Mackey drove a Volkswagen Beetle, which is a nod to Ted Bundy. His target was also young boys, which is unfortunately similar to many serial killers like John Wayne Gacy and Jeffrey Dahmer. Mr. Mackey also didn't come off as a serial killer to his neighbors and town, except, of course, for Davey. The other thing I want to mention is how they also played on cops being serial killers. So I was doing a lot of research on this, and I found one in particular that fit the characteristics of Mr. Mackey. So this serial killer's name and 
I apologize if I'm not pronouncing it correctly, is Gennady Merkasevich. So it has been confirmed that he was responsible for the deaths, deaths of 36 women, but in actuality, that number could be closer to 60. So, Gennady was a volunteer police officer in the USSR and was often assigned to investigate the cases of the very murders that he was committed. This resulted in him pinning his crimes of rape and murder on innocent men, many of whom ended up being convicted and sent to labor camps. One unfortunate individual was even executed after being tortured and forced to confess. However, police eventually deciphered a pattern in the killings that led them to believe that they were all committed by the same person. So worried that he would be found, he then sent an anonymous letter to the police stating that it was a corruption of the times that resulted in the killings. But this plan backfired and another one and after another note was left next to a new victim, police compared the letter to the handwriting of over half a million males in the city of Oblast. The analysis pointed to him as the prime suspect, and he was finally taken to prison, where reports say that he committed suicide. So I also wanted to talk about the camaraderie of the friends in the film. It takes a lot of It, Stranger Things, and The Goonies. It seems the world is pretty obsessed with the 80s right now, and preteens getting themselves into trouble. So if you listen to my other podcasts, you know I'm not a huge fan of kids in horror, but there's something about preteens and teens in horror that's kind of okay with me. The theme of innocence versus evil plays a huge role in these 80s films and shows. There's also the head games in these films that sh- and shows that play on you. You have to take yourself out of the film and be like, okay, are these just kids with too much time or is it legitimate what they're doing when it comes to the summer of 84 obviously danny was or davy was very right so another thing i want to talk about is how similar this film is to disturbia disturbia actually came out in 2007 and if you aren't familiar with it 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 centers around a teen living under the under house arrest he becomes convinced his neighbor is a serial killer. So same ending, or same skeleton, but very different endings. Uh, but Summer of 84 took a concept that many of us horror fans have known for a long time and made it thrilling, entertaining, and shocking. So if you haven't already figured out, I truly enjoyed this film. I know a few of you have suggested that I watched it when it first came out last summer. It does take me a little bit of time to come around to these movies. Um, But of course, since you all picked this film as uh, the one you wanted me to do this week, of course, I had to do it. I'm really glad that I watched it. It definitely did not end the way that I thought it would. I was definitely guessing and doing a lot of... um, sort of investigating myself as I was watching the movie because I was looking up different serial killers and the characteristics and I was looking into, um, you know, police officers that were serial killers and, of course, the obvious traits of Mr. Mackey with, uh, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and Ted Bundy. So I, I did really, really like this film. I wish that I had seen it sooner, but, you know, I'm happy either way. And I really enjoyed this film. I'm really glad that I watched it. I'm really glad that you guys picked this film for me to watch because if you hadn't picked it, I probably wouldn't have watched it just because when I read the, when it first came out and everyone was telling me, you have to watch this film. I looked up the synopsis of it and I said, well, it's just like any other film that's out there that talks about preteen boys or teenage boys having too much time on their hands and spying on their neighbors to try and, you know, come up with an adventure for themselves. Um, Of course, with this ending, it turned out to be exactly that. (laughs) But um, 
um, yeah, the ending, the en- ending definitely got to me. So if you guys have not seen this film, I would definitely go check it out. Obviously it kind of ruined the ending for you, but sometimes people like spoilers and I am one of those people that do like spoilers. So I'm glad there was no spoilers in this film for me though. Cause I was definitely hooked from, you know, the beginning of it, it was good. It definitely kept me entertained the whole time. Um, and that ending scene with rich summers, <laughs> um, very haunting, very, very scary. Um, if somebody ever said that to me when I was 15, I don't know what I would do. So, (laughs) all right, guys, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of Horror Nights in Podcast with your one and only host, me, Crystal, and my co-host, Roxy, who's actually pretty quiet today. I have to assume that she is taking a nap somewhere. If you enjoy this podcast, go listen to another one, binge it out, leave me a review, and have the best week ever wherever you are. And whatever you do, remember to always give your honest and horrific opinion no matter what. I'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye.